Hello, everybody, and welcome back to BYOB, Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcasts. I'm your host, Jack Hussey, and I'm joined by the other host, Ben Haynes. How are you doing, other host? Hi, uh, I'm good, thanks, other host. Have you ever seen that? Are you a fan of Scrubs? Uh, I, I watched, do you know what? I watched up until Brendan Fraser was in it, and then I kind of oh, checked out. Wow. So what's that, season two? Season three? Is it, oh, okay. So he comes in and he comes back again later on. And honestly... When he dies. We can do a spoiler now, can't we? Scrubs is like 20 spoiler. years old after he dies. Yeah, I, I think that's prob- probably up there with one of my favourite episodes of of any kind of... of any series ever. The one where he's sort of... Where Dr. Cox is like... Imagine, hallucinating, kind of imaginating him. And then JD says, where do you think you are? But yeah... Um, uh, there's a there's an episode where JD becomes the uh, co chief of of surgery or co chief of medicine, um, oh, right. while Elliot is the chief of medicine, and um, basically the janitor goes around the entire episode just rubbing it in that he's the co chief and not the chief. So I love the, yeah, delighted delighted I love, to be here as co host. I love the episode <laughs> when it's staggering the song "A Little Respect" by Erasure throughout the whole episode. Like it's oh, it's really good that bit. Very good. Uh, yeah, I I love the the thing is right. I know it's quite interesting for today's pod, but I I love what Scrubs does in terms of just taking you somewhere and then just absolutely landing a blow on you that you don't think's coming, mm. and it sort of just hits you in the feels, and you're like, oh god, that hurt. What, um, what have you made of yeah. just an interesting one? Just roll on this, mate. I want to ask you, what have you made of Zach Brass films? So I've only watched one or two, so I don't, I, I, I've listened to a lot of the Scrubs podcast where he talks about his directing um, and his kind of, his kind of search for his own style. Mm. But I think my kind of takeaway is that I feel like because he spent so long working with Bill Lawrence that you kind of can't help, can you, becoming a bit of a, a bit of a victim of the environment in which you're in. Interesting. And I didn't know. He, he, do you know he's di- he directed a uh, he's directed an episode of Ted Lasso. I haven't watched Ted Lasso. I, I watched an episode and it just yeah. didn't do it for me. Um, and he's also directed an episode of Shrinking. Did you ever watch Shrinking, the Apple TV series? I, I didn't. W- w- was it any good? It's very good, mate. I think you'd like it. Um, it's very. There's a lot of heart to it. Um, it's very yeah, snappy that's very my funny. Kind of, that's my kind of yeah it's very fresh it's actually do you know what it, it's kind of Scrubs-esque so that's why it doesn't surprise me actually that Zach Braff has directed an episode of it but Jason Segel is like back to his best in this and Harrison Ford suddenly so old and yeah it's, oh, it's good I, I, think you'd, I, think you'd, I think you'd like shrinking a lot actually yeah, do you know what? I I do have this strange thing. I'm sure loads of people that are listening have this, and I mean we're going to come to talk about this in a second. But I'm having a real struggle at the moment with seeing people that I kind of idolised or think loads of aging. Like yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really finding it hard, particularly people that you thought of, that you sort of think of as all singing, all dancing, physically very imposing and impressive. Um, like it really hit me when Roger Moore died, for example, because Roger mm. Moore was James Bond for me. Like I, 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 as a kid, I watched all those James Bond films and seeing him dive was like, Oh, oh no, yeah. you're, ah, um, you're, you're invincible. What are you doing? Stop, stop. Mm. And, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, a bit with, uh, I, I started catching up with Beckham, um, and he suddenly looks old as well. It's kind of funny. That's horrible, you know? isn't it? That's yeah, absolutely Arnie horrible. As well, Arnie in that one, we've we've spoken Definitely. about that. Before, but, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? But it happens happens to us all. Can't can't they can't all stay uh, fresh faced spring chickens like you and I, Ben? That's yeah, you know, exactly. Cross we have exactly. to bear. You know. Yeah, your 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 missus um, was spoke about this. Inc- I don't know if she told you this, um, but like the other, <laughs> week, the other week when you had your uh, you had an anniversary, I believe, and I was like, "Look, congrats!" And I said, "You both look magnificent, and like you have an age today." And then she, she said something to the effect of, "Can't wait for to be walking out on the street while it looks like he's." taking his mum out for a walk or something like that because <laughs> you're so aging bad. so oh, wonderfully oh gee. oh gee what's she on about um drink drink lots of water kids don't drink fizzy drinks fruit is that water. what you put down to a little yeah. bit of water action a bit of that yeah fresh air go for walks but water i've water. always liked water though i've always drunk water always you know maybe that's part yeah of that's I'm, I'm gonna try and try and get onto a bit of that I've, I've smoked for quite a long time, so that probably didn't no do me way. many favors. Yeah, smoke okay, for hang on. I have to know about this. Yeah, go on. I have to know about this. Did you smoke because it was cool? Did you smoke mm-hmm. because you were very artsy and impressive and you had your little roll ups going? Or did <laughs> you just get into it young and you were just like, oh, I'm just now a smoker and I didn't realize? I think at first I did it like not because I was trying to be arty. I think I did it because I was trying to look hard because the part, <laughs> like being real, being real, the part of town I came from was always the sort of harder bit. Do you know what I mean? And I felt I've got a bit right, of an okay. image, but I've got a, you know, I've got to represent Chessington town here. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. All I you, think of then is Chessington world of Avengers. Exactly. That's what everyone that is. Can you run your vampire ride? Yeah, I do, mate. Yeah, that's it. Me and my, <laughs> me, well, me, me and my family have <laughs> spaghetti bolognese on the vampire ride. Like, fly around. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, but I did that, and then then just got addicted. <laughs> it's just, it's just like that. But yeah, from about from about what is it? From about seventeen, probably seventeen. I guess I was probably yeah. I started having a few puffs of a cigarette when I was about fifteen, but smoking, smoking, probably about seventeen to about to about twenty six. Quite a while, you know. Oh me. Congratulations! Yeah. Like that's actually tough to give up. Really tough. Mm, I don't know. I'm mate. Me. I don't know. It's just the, the way I'm sort of wired. I was just like, right, I'm going to stop smoking, and just did I, enough. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Very impressive. Um, and do you know what? Because I will go down this path. And we can talk about this for hours. I should veer us back towards some sort of cinematic chat. Yeah. Neither of us have been to the cinema this week. Naughty, naughty. Naughty, didn't do any homework. Going to get detention. What um, What was your, did you have any reasoning? Anything, was there anything that jumped out at you? Just saw Killers of the Flower Moon, just saw Five Nights at Freddy's. I do want to see Cat Person. I am quite interested in seeing that, but just didn't get around to it. It was a chock-a-block, chock-a-block weekend. I don't know why I said that. Anyways. I swear Mrs. Doubtfire says chock-a-block at some point, maybe. Yeah, she know. does. She does. I think, I think you might be right. Maybe, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, and I don't have an excuse either. 
I don't have it like, but basically Killers of the Flower Moon was, was a hefty cinematic experience and, um, and I haven't made it back since, but we have seen some really, really sad news and it's very mm. much in keeping with what we were just talking about. Um, we, we saw the news this weekend that Matthew Perry had sadly died and at the time of recording, thankfully, I think thankfully, there's not too much information out there uh, around the circumstances of, of his passing um, because I often think with this kind of thing, there's this huge rush for people to try and suddenly over-define and over-explain and actually there are so many people that will be hurting so much, not just his close family and, and friends and the people around him, but so many people that he would have affected and touched over the course of his life that will be in such shock um, over this. Because I think, he was, was he 56? Yeah, he was young. If Which even that, just, maybe 55. It's just such uh, an awful and terrible thing. And if I, I want to check this out, there. I find it really, really hard when um when situations like this arise when people that you really admire are taken too soon and you feel this deep deep kind of sense of grief even though you didn't know them um mm. and a kind of very like affecting sense of sadness and just total shock and i guess on some level um yeah no a big sense of loss and i think usually it's really hard i don't know whether you ever find this mate but it's really hard because you never know i didn't i didn't i didn't know him so i didn't sort of have any connection to him so it almost feels a bit weird to do some sort of like twitter or instagram tribute or or or, or something like that you know I, I always i'm very torn on how to how to discuss these kind of things on on social media. So I more often than not, I just don't. But I thought it could be quite cool for us to just chat about him for a minute yeah. or two on here and just talk about the impact that he's had on on our lives as as kids of the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. I mean, like you say. I mean, it's it's you know, it's interesting. We're doing Goodwill Hunting today, isn't it? Because there's obviously a a, a, a huge presence there in that film that I think was the first, I think Robin Williams's death was the first celebrity death that really, really got me, you know, because as we sort of said before, when we did the Mrs. Doubtfire pod, he was such a figure of our childhoods in particular, you know, he was the funny man in movies. Right. Um, and you really kind of felt the keenest sense that a part of, our childhood a part of ourselves had died with him really um and i think with matthew perry even though friends was on when i was a kid i probably didn't start watching friends until you know i was a teenager i guess um because it would always be i'm sure you you remember the same mate it would always be on um what would it be like e4 wouldn't it like e4 you'd always have like friends marathons on and stuff like that right and I just remember always thinking with friends, like, like first of all, I think, you know, like, I understand the aging process. We do this. We talk about fine wine or war crime a lot. You know, I understand why 
Friends probably isn't that palatable to an audience in 2023, even though its legacy is enduring, even though there are many, many young people that still watch Friends and still seem to enjoy it. It's not perfect. It is a product of its time. Um, But with that said you know it was one of the it was it was hilarious it was it was very funny and you know i, I think it was probably one of those things where you know in public many of us would all be like no oh, i don't like friends no no i don't like it but everyone would watch it and have a laugh at sort of certain episodes and things like that and for me anyway matthew perry was always at always at the heart of that right i always found the the character of chandler very very relatable in many ways um his kind of awkwardness always his need to be sort of the funny guy in most situations to hide his kind of emotional vulnerability and clearly matthew perry brought a lot of himself to that role right from what we understand about him we hear in these many of the kind of obituaries or people's at least comments on his passing or speak about his warmth, speak about what a kind and genuinely funny man he was. Um, John Ronson, the documentary maker, um, said that they were, you know, they were making a documentary about, I think, about popular culture and Matthew Perry so happened to be a part of that and said that when uh, they went to his house to film his interview, he couldn't have been more kind. I think they hadn't, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I think there was some issue with their hotel or something. And Matthew Perry said, just stay at my house. It'll be fine kind of thing. And John Ronson's point was, you know, we're all very quick to say when somebody was an asshole, maybe we should be quicker to say when somebody was kind. And that's why I'm tweeting this. And it kind of gets you, you know, you kind of hear that stuff and you think that is very sad, isn't it? You know? I think a lot of the time people like that that are quick to offer those acts of kindness are usually people that are considerate of others because they're not perhaps as considerate or kind to themselves. And mm. they often are in a position where they're acting in the way that they they wish the world would act perhaps. Um, yeah. Like like you said, I've just I've seen so much over the course of the last week or the last few days, even just talking about what what a great guy he was, what a talent he was. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me was this: was, I, I'm sure you've seen the clip when he's spoken about um, people who always will remember me for friends, 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 and it will be forever something that I'm proud of. But um, the thing that he's the most proud of is that any person wherever they were in the world could come up to him and ask him for help with their addiction problems or their drinking problems and say, listen, I'm, I'm struggling. And he said that I, and I would help people, whoever they were, it didn't matter. I wanted to help. Um, and so he said, I, I hope people remember me for that first and then my career second. And I just thought that's such a, such a lovely sentiment and such a gorgeous thing to think to have the presence of mind to know that you're you you can just through random acts of kindness you can just have such an impact on other people's lives um in a very direct way like you did with people that are struggling with addiction but then also on the flip side you can have such an impact on people's lives in a very indirect way in, in mm. terms of I know for me, friends was such a comfort blanket at times. I'm still to this day, like if I'm going through rough stuff or 
having a tough time. There's a few shows that I'll go to, Scrubs, Peep Show, Friends, and I put them on in the background and it is like, it's, 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 you know how some people can put on the sound of rain or whale noises or meditative music or instrumental music. For me, I can put on an episode of Friends and it's the same as white noise. And I, but, but the beauty in that for me is it's like white noise that will make me laugh. I find I say, just you mean that in a complimentary way, right? <laughs> the most lovely complimentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, the yeah. idea of something being so comforting, but yet, yet at the same time, something that of its era was unbelievably powerful, right? It was, it mm. was, it was the most watched show on TV. They were, they were the most culture defining group of people that that you could have possibly sort of ever conjured up and like you said there is there's obviously if we were to find wine and war crime a lot of it would fall into the war crime section but also there is so much wonderful comedy in there that it um yeah it, it, it on some levels it stands the test of time as well and i think people will be watching it long into the future any bits that jump out of you mate any particular bits that have always stuck with you the way you know chandler said something or did something you know any yeah scene, so sort of two or three immediately pivot with the sofa is magnificent <laughs> it's magnificent it's just it imagine turning a situation like that that we can all relate to and just having a word like pivot just said over and over again a few times and then you just respond with shut up shut up shut up like and it and it becomes something that you just will quote forever it, it, it is so ridiculous and stupid um so that's one there's another there's another there's another episode which i really love because i think it even though it might just seem silly and quite flippant i think the idea of feeling envy or the idea of feeling um in it like insignificant or not good enough and it's when phoebe and rachel basically say they've met monica's dream man um, and he's a chef and he's British and they're going to run off and live in a house of cheese. Um, <laughs> and and there's uh, there's a, a bit where I think Phoebe or Monica says, oh, have you never tried it? He goes, no, but I'm sure tomatoes does. And it's just <laughs> like, it's just so magnificent the way he says the word tomatoes that I, I it's locked in my brain forever. And I, I I'm... I just think, wow, what an unbelievable talent that you can just say a single word in a silly way and a couple of people sitting here in different parts of the UK can know exactly what that image looks like in our heads. It's, it's yeah. amazing. What about no. you, mate? Go, I think go one of the bits that's always stuck with me, and it's such, it's such a minor one, but it's just it's the way the whole the episode was structured and the way he executed it was uh, when Ross moves in with Joey and Chandler, right? And... He's got his little <laughs> hand thing to, to tell him to keep the noise down a bit. And uh, yeah, Joey, all, all episode is like, look, I cannot stand. I love Ross, but I can't stand living with him. And Chandler's like, no, 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 he's fine. Come on. This is Ross we're talking about. This is Ross. And then we're talking about literally the last few seconds of the episode <laughs> when Ross does the hands thing and Chandler just says, okay, so he's out of here. You know, like, and <laughs> <laughs> it just uh it's always got me that bit it's always got me um 
find it very funny and uh, you know the, the him coming out from behind the door i knew it you know it's uh, yeah, yeah you know. Uh, when, he says, when he says to phoebe i'm very pleased we're gonna have all the sex <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, oh, just so much of it man so much of it <laughs> you know the other the other episode where he's at Halloween dressed as a bunny and he's like, you'd think I'd be embarrassed, but I'm maxed out. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. He, you You're know, eating I, a carrot. You, uh, you can't imagine anybody else playing that role, can you? And that's, I think that's the the greatest compliment you can always give an actor for a, for a particular piece of media. You know, people always say, oh, James Gandolfini with Tony Soprano and, you know, Chandler Bing with you know Matthew Perry. Now you you genuinely couldn't see anyone else having played that role. Even though I believe you know at times people have said that Ben Stiller auditioned for a part and Billy Crystal. I think at some point had auditioned for a part in Friends and you know even I know Billy Crystal and I think Ben Stiller as well both had cameos later on down the line, didn't they? Oh yeah, Ben Stiller had. Did you look quick, quick, quick? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> hot coffee. What was his name? Yeah, what was his name in that? I almost want to say he was called Greg, Greg again in that. I think it was. Yeah, wasn't I it? think it was called Greg. Um, so. What's in the cup, Ross? Yeah, just amazing. And and he's just from every single season. I think one of the things people picked out. He seems to be the. Um, he's like the bass in the band. You know, he's just the mm. rhythm of the scenes, just quipping as he goes all the way along, all the way along, just constantly chipping away. Um, you get this the last line of the whole show as well, doesn't he? With uh, sure, where when they say we're going to grab coffee, which is just lovely. So yeah, thank you for humouring me and allowing me to kind of sit and reminisce about that because that has been honestly such a yeah such a blow, just devastating to get that news and and another part of our childhood we turn the light out on. There will never be another episode of Friends or another Friends reunion with all six of them there together, and it's. But yeah, so sad. Um, but we must move on to this week's film. Uh, and I went with Goodwill Hunting. Did you enjoy watching it back, mate? I did, mate. I did. Yeah, it's been it's been a good few years. Um, but it was one I always loved back in the day. You know, it's a kind of coming of age film, and you watch it around that time when you're probably a similar age to the you know to the to the lead characters in there, a bit younger actually than them. Um, and then probably around that time. But yeah, it was nice. It was nice to kind of look back on it now as an adult and I guess maybe see things from a, an even slightly different perspective, see it more from, is it Sean Robin Williams' character's yeah. Uh, yeah. position almost, seeing this pugnacious little shit come in, but understanding in a way why he's a <laughs> pugnacious little shit, you know? So it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting seeing the same media that you've seen for years. And we've spoken about this previously, right? We've spoken about this with uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, ironically enough, but things that you have watched all throughout the years, seeing how your reaction to it changes. Um, and I would say, yeah, I, I, but overall, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a great film, isn't it? I found that I was watching, like you said, I found that I was watching it way more through the eyes of, of Robin Williams is, character now but, but i think partly because obviously he's gone as well so you sort of you're just desperate to kind of like soak every bit of his performance up because he's just so magnificent he's just so wonderful that you kind of you almost you, you're more acutely attuned to what he's talking about as well and there's these little nuances and bits that you 
there's a couple of scenes that we'll talk about later on that I just completely forgotten about. I was like, oh, wow, that was so powerful. Just tiny little inclusions. Anyway, um, you ready to spoil it, mate? How are you feeling about uh, it? I think I want to say it's a little bit more straightforward this one. So hopefully I'll be all right. Hopefully. Let's have it. Ready? Go Three, on two, one. Beep. So Goodwill Hunting follows the life of Will Hunting or a snapshot of his life, who is a brilliant but troubled caretaker at one of you know Boston's top universities. Uh, it just so happens that he solves a complex mathematical problem that stumps even the most gifted of students um, and the professor who put this out ends up discovering that it was this caretaker Will Hunting who smashed this problem um, in order to realise his potential to in order to realise his talents he needs to confront his troubled past he does this with the help of a therapist um, Sean who is played by Robin Williams and of course the support of his loyal friends he needs to come to terms with his past and his potential um, and find out if he values the love if he can get over his intimacy issues as he meets Skylar the potential love of his life it's a film that explores themes of oh there we go very good very good alright alright I think I think I think you've got got all the key points um got all of the got all the key characters so i guess like the angles that you that you've managed to nail in there the the relationship with sean which is obviously huge the the therapist that he ends up going to um after five different therapists that he tries which i actually found that scene hilarious when he starts singing afternoon delight um (laughs) Then uh, we we have his relationship with his friends. We have his relationship with Skylar, Mini Driver's character, and then we have his relationship with what is the name of? Is it Gerald Gerald Lambo? Gerald Lambo? Yeah, that's the name of the the other uh, the other professor, isn't it? As well, Scouts. Um, yeah, Scott, and and it, he comes in this film. He's obviously brilliant, but you sort of hate him, don't you? Absolutely hate him. You do, but I think, you know, well, I guess we've, we're at the spoilers section, you know, we've come through that already. Um, yeah, you do kind of start to see halfway through it that part of his issue is that, and I think this must be hard for people in some of these type of fields when they're so elite and they work so hard at their, uh, at their I was going to say their trade, but their discipline. Yeah, yeah. That you do get these, what's what savant? Is that the word? Like a savant, somebody that just yeah, stuff to them, right? It must yeah. be very hard to reconcile that, you know. To be like, like he says, you know, there's only a handful of people in the world who can tell how much more intelligent you are than me. Um, but even still, I know that you're out there. I know that you exist. Um, Yeah, it is fascinating. It does raise a very, uh, you know, an interesting kind of uh, quandary. I mean, I I wanted to ask you, like, mate, um, from the top on that, like on on that uh, in particular, did you find that uh, like Will Hunting's powers, if you like, 
Did you find it believable? Did you were you able to suspend reality, or did you even take on board the fact that there are people like him? There have been people like him in the past, as they reference in the in the film, right? So, they have you ever seen the TV series Suits? I haven't, mate. No. So, really similar setup in Suits. There's a guy who essentially has a photographic memory, and the whole the whole TV show is built around the the idea that this guy can just take on loads of information and, and remember everything and it turns him into this unbelievable lawyer um, and he wins every case because he could he can remember every last bit of 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 law that's ever happened and i mean it kind of we kind of see that play out with matt damon's will um the the thing that made me kind of find it passable is that i don't feel like the film tries to tries to overplay or tries to show you him absorbing tons of information. It kind of mm. is quite unclear. It just basically says like, listen, this guy's just super smart. Like he doesn't, he, he just, and, and it comes across to me, like he does potentially have a photographic memory or is just unbelievably book smart. You know, you get those people in life that just are incredibly book smart. But mm. what we see quite early on is that obviously he, He's wonderfully intelligent, but his emotional IQ or his EQ is is something that he really struggles with. Um, I don't know. Did it did, was it a barrier for you? No, it wasn't. Well, I don't want to say a barrier. I think at first it may be. I don't even know if I want to say it pulled me out of a bit. A bit. It just made my mind wander to that. Maybe away from the film. Do, do you get what I mean when I say that? As yeah, in, yeah. like. Yeah, I was yeah. conscious of the fact I was thick, so I guess maybe it did pull me out of it. I don't know. Um, but, no, I don't, no. I don't, because I feel that's got a very negative connotation to it. It did just set my mind wandering as in like, I can imagine there are people who are incredibly, incredibly smart, naturally gifted, naturally very smart. Um, and you often hear of it in relation to the arts, obviously. Um, and also in say like, uh, uh, what is it? You call it like an applied practice, like mathematics, um, where some people's brains just kind of work in that way. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my brain definitely does not. No, no, no. no. I am awful at maths, like awful. I can't remember phone numbers or anything, you know, like my brain definitely does not work in that way. Um, but you know, I think is, is, you know, you and I have like, you can be shut in a room for an hour and somebody says, right, we need to come up with an idea for this thing. We've got a 10 minute slot that needs to be filled, fill it. Right. And ideas will just come to you, you know, and a part of that is a yeah. is part of that is, is your experience, what you've done at this point in practice throughout your career. But I guess some part of that, it's, it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, right? Part of yeah. the reason why you're in the career that you're in is because I'm assuming, like me, you've always just had an ability to ideate. It's come to you from somewhere, you know? Some people would say that's from God. Other people would say that's just the the nature or nurture, your situation that you've had around you growing up. Maybe you've got a predisposition. A certain part of your brain grew because you ate a certain type of thing as a kid. Do you know what I mean? There's various different reasons yeah. as to why or not your brain might be that way. Way, do you but, ever think about that? Do you ever think because you're you're a very creative person? Do you ever like have that thought process? Because it's something that I think about quite a lot. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I do. I do think about it. I, I find it 
there's um I, I, god i'm gonna butcher this now i hate i really want to reference something and i can't remember who said it and i can't remember exactly what they said i want to say <laughs> I know, it's the use to start isn't it? but i want to say it was one of the old poets or somebody i don't know but there's, there's a there's essentially there's a there's an expression for it where people do say there are certain ideas and stuff that are just implanted in your head by by god by the divine by divinity you know um some of that could be yeah, and some people have interpreted that as like mother nature or whatever or their own personal you know theism um but I, I do find that sometimes, you know, there are, there are because this, this is the long-winded point I was trying to make about this with, with world hunting is like thinking about like myself, thinking about when I have like certain ideas, I know that some ideas I have to think about and I have to work on and I have to think what will a certain audience find funny, you know, especially when it's like a professional thing I'm doing. What I've got yeah, a brief, yeah. right? We have to make this appeal to blokes above 30 you have to make this appeal to gen z you have to do you know what i mean that type of thing or if yeah. you're doing like branded content or something um yeah. and so you you research it a bit more but when i'm doing like my own stuff sometimes i can just be walking down the road walking to the shop or you know doing the hoovering and sometimes i just get an idea come in my head like what if you know, yeah. Harry Redknapp turned up at the Spurs training ground and was like a Del Boy type wheeler dealer geezer. And then I just started making animations about it. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and you just think, where does that come from? Where does this just suddenly yeah. drop into your head from? And I guess, yeah. in short, my point is with like Will Hunting, when I was watching, it, I was thinking like, that must just be how it works for somebody like him, that he yeah. can just look at a string of numbers. He can pick out a pattern in there um, because we know that, you know, you have like, people who you know who are neurodivergent who will have a propensity to be able to see patterns to be able to you know work in a sort of numerological fashion um and i think some of that is kind of glamorized by hollywood and everything like that but mm, yeah. you know I, I do know there is an element of truth to to some of this stuff like certain people being able to notice patterns and things so you know um it is it, it is interesting, but uh, I mean, look, I didn't take it as a negative because it got my mind going in this way, and it's led to this conversation, which is probably ten minutes too long. But you know, I, uh, <laughs> just for Purdy. But like, yeah. I, I did think there was something interesting in this, right? Because I feel like we got that conversation kind of played out on screen with two almost father figures that Will has in that he has Sean mm. and he has Gerard, Gerald, Gerard. Um, I think it's Gerald Lambeau, isn't it? Um, the two of them seem to represent this idea of one of them being the heart and one of them being the ability to handle emotional intelligence and his feelings and his ideas and his kind of, um, yeah, his inner state. And then the, the other one being his head, which is like super practical, don't waste this gift that you've got. Um, you must do something with it. You've got this tool and I want you to do something with it. I want you to do something with it because I'm so gifted and you're slightly better than me that I can't actually stomach the idea of you messing this up. And then the other side, he had Sean there being like, I can't stand to see you mess up your life as opposed to mess around with your career. I can't stand to see you not be okay and not be, not be, able to be comfortable in your own skin, which I just thought was amazing. And then you get this third dynamic, which is his relationship with his friends as well. 
which was kind of fascinating. And I, I, I did want to get your sort of pick your brains on this, that Sean says at one point, so I'm sure everyone who's, who's listening has, has seen the film, but he's got a group of friends, three mates who are living in Boston and how would you they're, they're they're working class guys right they haven't got an unbelievably good education they haven't got a lot of money but they stick together and they go out and they drink together and they support each other but in a very kind of school of hard knocks way would that be fair yeah yeah i th- i think so so yeah like you say school of hard knocks university of life right yeah, exactly. And less, less kind of the, the, at the beginning of the film, and we'll come on to talk about this in a bit, but there, there does seem to be this huge juxtaposition between the working class and then the kind of like social elites. Um, we see very early on in the film, one character is at a, um, a reunion for people who graduated from Harvard. And then it cuts immediately to pro, it could be the 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 boys having a fight in a playground or them at the batting cages chatting shit to each other and it was like really very intentional that it showed this constant jump from one to the other which was really really fascinating but i thought there was something there was kind of like a third he had the heart and the head and then he had this kind of group of friends that i felt represented something completely different as well they were just i think sean said they would any one of them take a fucking bullet for him. Um, and at a time when he clearly feels so vulnerable within the film, that group of friends, they give him a lot of, I don't even know what it is because it is kind of emotional support, but it's actually it maybe just like a comfort blanket. Like we were saying about before, they seem to provide him with a baseline that he can work from. And I wonder, I wonder whether you had sort of seen anything in that because clearly way smarter than them but at the same time he needs them a lot do you know what i mean yeah yeah and i'm look a lot of that is is familiarity right he's somebody that's had such a fractured life a fractured upbringing that that is the only type of family that he actually has isn't it and but he doesn't show up until the end doesn't seem to show any vulnerability to them at all like there's a scene where he goes out and makes a phone call and he's calling Skylar to sort of try and try and be brave enough to take that step to move forward. And then he comes back and then he said, who was you trying to call? He was like, trying to call your mum. Just like, for God's sake. We're like, he, he finds it so hard to show some vulnerability. But then we do get that lovely scene at the end where Ben Affleck's character is like, if you're still here, I'll fucking kill you. Like you owe it to me. And there is that kind of realization that this, this group of friends and I'm, we all have it in our own lives, right? But perhaps it's a reminder as well, just not to take the people for granted that are actually providing you with the support network that you need to go out and be the best version of you. Um, I thought that that was just so wonderfully played the idea of brotherhood and the idea of friendship. And that even though these guys are not super intelligent, they're again they're the kind of if he's the lead singer of the band they're the the people that are keeping it all ticking over on the bass and the rhythm and and the kind of the tune behind him to make sure that he can go out and and perform um there was something else that i wanted to kind of come on to just off the back of this And, and i feel like we can kind of do this fairly quickly but i wondered whether you sort of whether you picked up on this as well, I felt like the film was saying a lot 
about the idea of of imperfection and perfection and the idea of the the idea of taking risks in your life and the idea of actually going out and having a crack and giving things a chance and we saw this wonderful kind of we can kind of go on to the the the, the Sean and Will sessions here I suppose in this section but we saw this wonderful performance between the two of them where the therapist kind of is going to therapy and and he's being challenged and he needs those sessions with Will just as much as Will mm. needs the sessions with Sean. Do you know what I mean? I just thought that was so wonderful. Yeah, it 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 it, it was interesting to see that play out because do you, I mean how much of that do you think was a conscious decision by Gerard Gerald whatever whatever we're calling him now whatever we've Should settled we get on his name and get yeah, go on. I'm gonna get get this up so I don't just keep saying the wrong thing. Uh so he was ooh, Gerald, Gerald Lambo. Um do, I don't do know. you think there was a, a consciousness know. there to Gerald's decision? I thought he would I, I I think one of the things that jumped out at me is that I know this is something that, that I do when I need help. I go to people that I trust. I go to people that I think, right. It, I could go to experts, but actually I'd be much more comfortable going to people that I put my faith in. And I thought, I felt like maybe that was kind of why Gerald had gone to him. Although maybe it could be that on some level, Gerald knew that, that he needed it too. Mm. It's a bit, <laughs> it's hard to know it because I don't think that, uh, I think Sean genuinely didn't, I mean, well, we know he didn't want to speak to the kid at first, right? And yeah. I don't think it dawned on him maybe until quite late that he probably needed to do that too, that, you know, there's, there's, there's it's obviously quite deliberate that they're two very similar characters. They're from a very similar part of town, um, similar kind of temperamental type geezers, you see it very early on, don't you? And Sean grabs him by the throat and like outlines that barrier straight away with him um, that he's not messing around. Uh? One of my favorite moments of the film, the way he just comes out of nowhere and just grabs him. Yeah. So he, I don't think he, he probably, like I said, I don't think he realizes until late on that he probably needed that as much as, uh, as much as, as as much as he did, but do you, I mean, I guess we're maybe jumping ahead of it. But do you feel like because I f- I feel that one of the uh, one of the bits that, that kind of didn't land for me with this film. You asked me if I enjoyed it, and I did. Um, I think one of the bits that stuck out for me was with the character of Sean, and I almost felt a little bit like his arc was unsatisfyingly incomplete. I kind oh, really? of feel like. Yeah, I feel like they built up to like a really nice point and it, it like you're saying it felt like it became almost like a form of therapy for Sean as well. But we didn't actually really see his life change or anything. And I know some of the themes in the film he is talking about well I had my shot and it was over with my wife and all that type of thing. But I think that kind of went against a lot of what the film was kind of, you know, nodding to, like you say, taking risks and starting again and putting trauma behind you as best you can, because it felt like 
with Sean's character, he acknowledged all these things, but then towards the end, it just kind of petered out. And then he obviously, you know, he has that lovely line when he says, I won't see about a girl, stole my line, the son of a bitch. Um, yeah. But you don't really know what his future is. And I, I guess one might say you don't know what Will Hunting's future is, that there's an air of uncertainty around them, that they've had this moment in their lives where they've touched one another and it's on them to make do with whatever it is that they've they've learned from that experience but it 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 just it felt to me a little bit like they were they were leading sean's character at least to go somewhere and i i'm not actually sure it actually did in a real sense yeah Yeah, so it doesn't you don't actually get a satisfying end to to his arc because his kind of last lines are that i'm gonna go and well, I mean, you get him, son of a bitch, stole my line, but um, which he improvised, by the way, which I love, just absolutely love. That's so Robin Williams, right? That he which just chucked him. That you know, when he goes, son of a bitch, he stole my line. That wasn't in the yeah. script; he just made it up, which oh. I think is just just gorgeous. Um, Apparently, the, the, also- the wife farting bits all improv as well. No way. Yeah, and uh, the laughing is the two of them actually cackling at the end of it. That's why I feel so real oh. because it is. Yeah. Apparently anyway. This is, yeah. There's, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I wonder whether to some extent, whether he's like taken stolen things from his own relationships and stuff to, to weave in <laughs> as well. Cause there's, there's something that I'll, I'll come back to later on on that, but it just, he's, yeah. His ability to just jump off on things and, and make people laugh is just unparalleled. But uh, one thing I did definitely take from that section you're talking about. So they, they both leave and they go off on the road because Sean's sort of like, right, I'm going to go traveling. I'm just going to go and travel. And I, and I took that to be that he wasn't done experiencing life because we have his sort of monologue where he's on the bench at the park and he's like, you don't know what it's like to experience these things. And then he gets challenged by Will who says like, well, you had the chance to ante up again and and you just bottled it and walked away. Um, and so I, I kind of took this as that end moment being like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go and play another hand. I'm going to go and have another crack at some stuff. And then I'll go to the reunion and I will go and reconnect with people that I haven't connected with for a long time. So I kind of, even though it's not satisfying, I, I feel like there is something there. The other thing is we see Will driving off into the distance. We have no idea whether he ever makes it work with Skylar. We have no idea whether it, it goes anywhere or not. The only thing that I, w- I would add in addition to that is that um, it kind of made me feel quite sort of warm and fuzzy in the idea that Robin Williams is able to give advice and he's able to give this guidance and counseling and therapy to a kid that needs it whilst not having any of the answers himself because he clearly requires counseling himself he clearly requires therapy and the need to sit there and work through some really really tough um things himself and i just thought it was quite lovely that it felt to me like the message in the film was like you don't necessarily need to be perfect yourself but so long as you're starting from a good place then you can be perfect for someone else, you know, like, and, and mm. like you said about Skylar, it's like, she's not perfect. You're not perfect, but maybe you're, you're perfect for each other, which is, which is amazing. And I mean, we do get this in it, it, uh, Matt Damon and Robin Williams, those sequences 
I could have, I think I could have watched a whole film just of those two interactions, you know, that those, those two and their interactions, just because I felt like those therapy sessions were just amazing. Like yeah. the, the interplay between the two of them when they're kind of almost like verbally sparring and you're seeing them slowly break this guy down and gain trust. And like you said, the bit at the beginning when he's sort of like analyzing the painting and then suddenly grabs him by the throat and he's like, you it's, disrespect it, my wife again, I will end you. It's that look on the, it's that look on Matt Damon's face when he knows he's, uh, he's, he's, he's pricked to something, hasn't he? When he's like, maybe you married the wrong woman. He's like, what's he say to, what does he say when he says, maybe you married the wrong woman? He says something well, he where says, he's like, shut up or something, doesn't he? Like straight away. He says, he says for uh, what, he says, watch your mouth, doesn't he? And then he goes, oh, is that, yeah, that's what it is. The mask slips, yeah. doesn't it? The therapist mask slips and he goes into the boy from Southie, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then he, that it that 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 line like you you ever disrespect my wife again i will end you i will fucking end you got that chief feels like such a subtle mug off though doesn't it as a uh, chief yeah uh, and it is it's just a real it's a real kind of put down or a buddy pal chief yeah. you know it's that real kind of like little right here but then by the, by the end of the film he's calling him son you know which yeah is, Gorgeous. And there was something that I wanted to, sorry, mate, if I'm chatting too much, you just tell me to shut up so you can actually get a word in address because I'm very aware I'm going off on one here. Please do, mate. Um, it's good. It's usually me um, doing that. So, you know. <laughs> there is, there's another thing that I noticed as they start to break each other down. So the cameras, the, the camera at all times, I mean, there's two really key things, right? It's that the camera changes perspective at multiple times, but they're always shooting up into their faces and they're quite tight and you have these quite tight shots so you get lots of emotion. But it suddenly just hit me when I was watching it this time around. There's a sequence when Sean and Will are kind of, they're finally getting somewhere and the camera is looking over Sean's, shoulder and sean is kind of like not i'm not gonna say on the offensive but he's questioning will and he's really sort of like pushing will and like trying to drag something out of him and he's kind of getting somewhere and then really subtly you don't kind of realize it but the camera just kind of like slides behind sean's back and it does a bit of a wipe through his kind of like through the back of his head and then you you just start to realize that the momentum in the scene is is shifting and suddenly we're then going over, we're going from Will's perspective as he's pushing Sean and saying like, have you ever thought about getting remarried? And he goes, my wife's dead. And you suddenly realize mm. that Sean has suddenly gone into these really sharp answers and he's giving nothing away and he's not prepared to talk. Um, and, and you sort of realize that this perspective has shifted and you're like, oh, wow, we're actually now getting to a place where they're both able to be there for each other and they're both able to get something from the other. And it's not just a, a one way street. And what you what you kind of then flash back to is that that Gerald Gerald Lambeau's his character, even though he wants Will to kind of get there, he doesn't want Will to get there for for him. He wants Will to get there because Gerald wants to be the guy that made him. You know, he's not doing it for the kid; he's doing it for himself. Like Gerald's worldview is so for somebody who is so 
smart, obviously. And this is the point that Sean's trying to make to him. He's just so navel gazing. Like he's it all in all his interactions with Sean, everything is always about like, oh, don't hate me, Sean, just because you know I'm because I'm more I'm successful excited. than you. And it's always for him. It's always about success. It's always about you know notoriety. It's always and he just can't get the fact that. Sean is a is a damaged guy that like he's he's got demons that he's wrestling and his worldview is not the same as Gerald's it just isn't and I, I guess this is kind of one of those um you know and I think we can say it of this film because you know the film is I don't want to say a little corny in places but it, it has got a nineties feel to it now when you watch yeah, it. Yeah. So I think, you know, there are perhaps those kind of archetypal notions that the mathematical guy views the world as a mathematical equation. And do you know what I mean? Perhaps some more rudimentary things where characters weren't maybe quite as rounded, like as, as they tend to be now in stuff, you know, they, yeah. they sometimes do fall back into archetypes. Um, and I, I do think that there are some really, you know, really nice touches there between, like I say, Gerald and Sean, when there is... <sighs> In their own way, though, there is this, there is a, a level of tenderness between the pair of them that they they do clearly hate each other, but clearly also love each other in a certain way. And it's it's yeah. interesting to see that they can't communicate that because quite literally they speak two different languages. You know, Gerald speaks this, he speaks in maths, he views <laughs> everything in as an equation. He does view life as an equation, whereas Sean is yeah. more about vibes, right? You know, you're saying like that they hate each other, they love each other, but they, because they're coming from these two different points of view. And I just, <laughs> just, just, I don't know why when you, when you were saying that, you come jump to my mind that uh, Robin Williams at one point, he goes, Oh, shut up your mathematical dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 it's I just mean, like, it's such a, brilliant argument that argument you know because you totally get the idea that these are two people that want the same thing they're just coming at it from totally different angles and they just can't they can't we've all been there right we've all been in those situations where you're like why can't you understand what i'm trying to say and the other person's like yeah. i i don't get a word of what you're saying why can't you understand what i'm saying and it's just the lens that you look through and it's just I, I well that's it isn't it and you you only really start to have that revelation as you get i mean i would probably say i've only really firmly started to grasp that i would say the past few years of my life when it's like sometimes it just isn't worth arguing with some people because you just view the world fundamentally differently. Like, like you say, yeah. you view the world through a different lens entirely. And it's not to say that you can't have conversations and try to educate one another or educate yourself. If it's, if it's you know, matters like we've had in the past few years, you know, with like black lives matter, or if there's, you know, issues to do with Islamophobia or antisemitism or something like that, you know, I am, I, um, I fall into none of these minority groups, you know? Um, and so a lot of the time you will see conversations come up and you're like, I need to learn. I need to understand this. Um, so my, my point for saying this is like, you know, I'm not saying that you can, you can fundamentally have an argument with somebody and, you know, there's no point trying to like talk with people who have a different worldview to you and a different lens to you. But the point is that sometimes 
especially when it comes to, comes to arguing about things, sometimes it is better to find a level of commonality, you know, um, and see. And I, yeah. I know people will say, oh, this stuff's twee and it's cheesy, but I kind of feel that's the point that this film is trying to make, right? That we can we we can all kind of view things very differently, but we do need to spin our plates and try and, I mean, spinning plates is a, is a bad analogy, but well, not really. I mean, like, because we are spinning plates and you can see that Sean, he does go into like therapist mode and he can go into academic mode when he's talking to Gerald, right? And Gerald equally can't, he struggles with vibes mode. He can't really do that. You don't really know what, you, you get the feeling that Gerald doesn't really have a wife. He doesn't really have a happy home life. He's always hitting on his students all throughout it. Oh, so he's God, clearly, great. Yeah, I mean, that is gross, isn't it? Um, but and I, I forgot all about that when I was watching it before, but yeah, I mean, you know, but, but, but Gerald and Sean find that commonality as do Sean and Will. They find that commonality of being boys from Southeast that have got big tempers. And if you get on the wrong side of them, they'll suck you in the jaw. You know, it's that type of thing. Right. Yeah. But, but it's also showing that like, we're not just that we're not defined by our environment. We're not defined by our past we are our own person. And Sean is desperately trying to make Will see that, that he doesn't need to be trapped in this prison that his life, his circumstances have presented to him thus far. He has this. And as um, Ben Affleck's character, what's his name? His, his best mate. Mm, I was going to go into, um, I was going to go into the, all the brothers then, but it's not, it's, it's Chucky. Yeah, yeah, he makes the point to him that you know you've got the you've got the winning lottery ticket, mate. Like, we doing? Oh, you know, what a line! On. What a line! Yeah, well, you know? that was such a good line, just brilliant. And it, a, do you know what you you came across a really good point there as well? In that, like, there's this other whole thing about blind spots, right? In that yeah. that, that Gerald needs he needs Sean to come in because. He's got so many blind spots that he can't fill in. And I thought there was another really nice message in there about the idea that by by having commonality with people, it can help you understand, you know, like you don't need to fight to win. You can fight to understand. You can fight to kind of like get there to be like, okay, I, I see where you're trying to go. I don't understand what it is, but I can see where you're, where you're, where you're trying to get to. And um, I think that's something that, that uh, there's, um, there's a, there's a book that I'm reading at the moment that's talking about how how we all just have these blind spots in our lives and you could have the most talented and most magnificently intelligent people people um, surrounding you. But if you don't have a diversity of different cultures and backgrounds and ages, you will always have blind spots. You'll always have areas where you're weak. So I thought that was a, a really fascinating thing that it's, that maybe Gerald is, is is astute enough to be like, okay, I need I need someone who can reach him. You know, I need someone who can actually talk to him. And there's that lovely line is like, how much do you bench? And he's like, 285, how much do you bench? And then you realize he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I bench more than you, bro. Like, and, and, and Will just sort of sat there like, ah, shit. <laughs> he could actually yeah. take me. And that's why it's so powerful when he does the thing, when he's like, I will end you, Chief. And he sort of gets him with the dad strength, gets him yeah, with the yeah. grip. His big hairy <laughs> forearm, you know? Like, <laughs> I was just about to say, he's got the big beard, the hairy forearms, the kind of ape-like qualities that Robin Williams has. But he's sort of like, it's quite squat, but he's very sort of powerful. And you know, you've seen the He's quite jacked, isn't he, in that film, Robin Williams? Yeah, low-key, he is. 
he is a, definitely i i just loved it and um maybe i don't know do you like i feel like perhaps it would be remiss of us to to talk about this film and not just talk about how amazing robin williams is again well, I, I wanted to say to you, mate, you know, one bit that really stood out for me and I was, I was thinking about this because I loved it because I'm guessing from this, I'm not that clued up on American sports, but I'm guessing that the Red Sox have a fairly similar history to Tottenham Hotspur, right? I'm guessing they're kind of the nearly I men's think, I think you're right. Win I stuff, think you're right. right. Yeah. And yeah, so when, this conversation that he's having with Will where he's essentially saying, I was there the night Spurs won the Premier League. But I wasn't because I went to chat up this girl. Um, the way those two sort of act out that scene, because I love it because it, it will immediately, because he's been like this cocksure, know-it-all kind of little shit the whole time. He cannot understand. Like, how? How could you? Like, you because know, he's never been in love. He's never had that. I mean, he's he's learning what it is with Skylar now, right? But he's never been that close to somebody where he he feels that connection past kind of, yeah, because like he, he put it in that, yeah, I've been laid a few times, you know, so what? Yeah, like acting like he's the big man. And, you know, again, yeah. Robert Williams kind of disarms him with that, oh, good for you kind of thing, you know. And, but that conversation when like you're just seeing it kind of, it, the penny almost dropping for Will Hunting a bit where he's like, wow. So he like, he loved this woman or at least thought like this woman was so special. She was so incredible that he, he literally missed the night, the Red Sox and Spurs to my analogy. We're going to actually finally win something. And then you can just see the cogs wearing for him as in like, maybe that's what this Skylar is to me then. Maybe that's, yeah. maybe all the stuff that I've read about. Cause like he says to him, doesn't he? You've read about this stuff in books, but you know, you haven't lived it. Then he's suddenly like, oh, it starts to make sense to him. And it's again, it's the way Robin Williams has done that. But the bit I wanted to touch on is like the Robin Williams tells that story and it's so tender and it's so beautiful. And it, I think it, it must be like, I guess Dead Poet Society also did. It must be kind of one of his few straight roles he'd done at that point though as well. Um, and just how brilliant he was at it, but still his ability to like, you know, after they've told that kind of nice story, I had to see about a girl and he sort of has a laugh like your mates let you get away with that and and then they're kind of quiet and then will's like still i can't believe you missed the game and he's like yeah i know i, I didn't think what's his name was gonna hit a home run did i you I know, <laughs> you, know it's, you can imagine yourself being like yeah i didn't think james madison was gonna score a 96th minute winner against liverpool exactly and Peele, right. but, you know it's it's that kind of thing where it's just it was so relatable and it was so brilliant seeing that kind of, because people always say sport is like the great leveler and the way that they used that scene to, like I say, make a really profound point to, to Will as this young guy, but also just like to act it out in this sort of tender, nice way to get some more understanding about Sean, about what motivates him, about his pain, about his grief, about what he's lost and using like sport as this vessel in order to do that. I just thought it, it really stood out for me. That's it's, it's my, honestly, I would actually say that was my favorite scene in the movie. I think so. Like that back and forth yeah. between them. I thought it encapsulated so much of it and just Robin Williams in that, like, like you were saying, and it's so spot on. It's so true. You could have watched an entire movie of just those two talking. And it was just, yeah. you know, like even little vignettes of therapy sessions and it would have made for like a really intriguing film. Yeah, my I think my I think I think that's very close up there. I think the scene on the bench is 
is magnificent. I mean, just yeah. the, the the delivery, the camera work, the way that it's so close in his face, and I mean his his eyes, like he has this ability with his eyes that he just is able to kind of convey that sadness and that love and companionship and sorrow and loss and the sort of pathos pathos that he has, this, this idea of sort of suffering and desperation. And then he looks so weak and so vulnerable and then suddenly just bang, just packs a punch and you just go, oh, that's what's important. And he does it with just sort of this effortless ease and just this look of vulnerability that is incredible, but yet so strong at the same time. And I think that comes, one other scene where that comes across for me so powerfully is when, so you said, when you said she, she farts in her sleep and they're laughing. And then he says, but that's the good stuff. She, she knew all my peccadillos and that's the, that's the really good stuff. That's stuff that nobody ever sees. And it, I, I, I loved listening to that because I think that's so true. I think that's the, that's the bit, right? Really, that's what, that's what everyone's really hoping for is the ability to share all of the kind of your little, your, your little, your, your bits and pieces of you, your, your weird little, I think he calls it, we, we choose who we let into our weird little worlds. And there's yeah, very I few people that. that get let in. And it's just, it's, oh, just so wonderful and i'm so glad that he won an oscar for that you know because i think i watched his oscar speech today and you know when they're going up and it's like they say this is his first second or third oscar or whatever he said like this is his first oscar he's been nominated three times and i thought wow like imagine if he had never won one you know imagine if he had not won an oscar this absolute gift of a human being you know never sort of been celebrated for 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 what he'd done he just was amazing and and in he just totally steals this film and he just every bit that he's in he's he's magnificent um a couple of other tiny little bits on here actually this this is quite a good segue so that i watched the oscars um uh, the, the, I think it was two Oscars that it's won and it won the other one for the writing. I it completely yeah. passed me by that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck had won for their first ever bit of writing, like their first ever film that they'd written, their first feature that they got Come made. Bonkers, isn't it? Did you, you won, that's like, that's like someone saying like, Oh, by the way, like you're, we're going to call you up to, um, we're going to call you up to this football squad and then suddenly you win the World Cup. It's like the God, highest I mean, accolade. I'd see what the opposition your... were like if I was winning the World Cup <laughs> on my first call up. You're warming up on the sidelines. I can I can see the memes now, mate. Or like, like Twitter was... It'd be like, you, you know, it'd be like... Have you ever seen that sketch that Ricky Gervais does with Stephen Merchant and Warwick Davis? Where they're supposed to be Peter Crouch and Wayne Rooney, and they're sort of bobbing up and down. That'd be like you and I, oh, no. on the, you um, and I on the sidelines, warming up to get brought on in the World Cup. But it's just to think that you go from relative obscurity to absolute, like the the peak of your powers within one jump. And there was a, this amazing story that just on the right. And there's this amazing story that Matt Damon tells. So Matt Damon was so broke that. This is a really cool like nineties thing as well. Do you remember when Calvin Klein's got big? Yeah, like, yeah. People started wearing Calvin Klein boxers. It became a thing. 
that. And it will, it will sound ludicrous now to people listening that maybe didn't grow up at that time. But it wasn't always the case that people wore boxers, that they wore like tight boxers, you know, the kind of like standard boxers that people wear today. And so Matt Damon said that he had one pair of boxers. He could afford one pair of Calvin Klein boxers. He had all of a underwear, but like he had one pair of Calvin Klein's. And so when he was working on Goodwill Hunting, he was always looking forward to laundry day because it meant that he got to wear his good boxers again. So <laughs> after so after he got his paycheck for it, he went into Calvin Klein and tried to buy 20 pairs of Calvin Klein boxers so that he could be like, I've made it, you know, I and yeah, yeah, yeah. then after he bought them, the person that served him chased him out of the shop. And she was like, I have to give you a refund. I have to give you a refund. He's like, why? And she's like, my manager will kill me if they find out that I charged Matt Damon for 20 pairs of pants. Like, we have to give you them for free. And he said, at that point, I knew my life would never be the same because I'd no longer have to pay for my pants. <laughs> Such a cool story. But it, and it's so you fascinating. Do hear a lot of people, don't you, especially footballers and things, being like, no, I want to pay. I want to, because it's like it's a sense of achievement, isn't it? It's almost like you're robbing yeah. me of that right to buy something now. Yeah, I've earned this. Now, and I do think it's a really fascinating thing. People I would feel that way. I don't know about you, way. but like I would definitely yeah, feel that way. And then apparently it goes, it, then it goes really far the other way. That when then this kind of, when they go through the looking glass, I guess, and go to the other side, then people don't want to pay for anything. They want everything for free. Even if it's like something that's 20 quid, they don't want to buy it. Like it's a, it's a, it's a really fascinating thing. It's this idea of kind of like there being this acknowledgement that you should get it for free because you are in that next level, that next stratosphere. You see, it's like very, very prevalent in, in football in particular, this idea that like when the new colorways of boots come out, for example, all the players want to get the new colorway, not because they want to wear the, the boots, but they want to get it first. And they want mm. to get it before anyone else. If there's if there's a gig that they want to go to, they want to go to the gig for free. They don't want to pay for a ticket, even though the ticket's thirty quid, forty quid. You know, it's it's a really fascinating thing. Um, listen, I've I've longed this discussion out so much. I have to apologise. Do you want to do MVPs? I mean, I think we know who the MVP is, right? And it's by a long way for me. Um, the big guy. It is because, you know, I think you've got to give props to, to Damon and Affleck for their writing and everything like that. But as I was saying to Charlotte, could you have seen Leonardo DiCaprio playing the main role instead? Yeah, you could have done. Could I have seen anyone else playing Robin Williams's part? No. You know, like we were talking about no. at the top, nobody else but, you know, like Math, but Matthew Perry being Chandler. It's again, it's another role where it's just, it's Robin Williams doing his very very best and is at his best and uh, like remember i texted you because i felt it like as soon as his face comes on screen and even just talking about it now i feel like this lump in my throat growing of yeah. just distill a profound sense of sadness that he's not with us anymore um because he just he lights he lights up the screen doesn't he when he's on there and he's his his ability to just really get into a character, uh, even even when it's like the creepy dude in one hour photo, you know, when he was kind yeah. of doing those type yeah. of movies towards the end of his career, he always managed to bring something to every role that he was in. And films like this, when he's you know, really really at the peak of his power, this is an Oscar winning performance, as as you've said there. 
you just can't look past him, can you? It's brilliant. But uh, you know, as a, as a, as, a, as a bit of a cover, not not as a, not as an MB, MVP, but as an assist, maybe. Um, mini driver's brilliant as well. I thought um, yeah, as is Skarsgård. I do think Skarsgård's very good in this as well. Yeah. So do you know what? I think it'd be really good to to do this because like, there's so many big themes that we've kind of touched on that we, we, there's perhaps a few different bits and pieces here that. Um, that maybe that we we haven't given the assists out where they're due, like Cole Hauser as Billy, you know, in and and Casey Affleck as Morgan, they make up this amazing quartet and they play their part as well. They're fantastic. Mini driver Skyler, amazing, totally worth an assist for her. Stellan Skarsgård is just a wonderful arsehole. You know, he's incredible. <laughs> he just does it perfectly. Um, and, and Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck has his moment as well. His his speech at the end is sensational. You know, the whole you've got the winning lottery ticket and you're too afraid to cash it in. Um, and if you're still here in 20 years, I'll fucking kill you. You know, you owe it to me. There's such power in that as well. But you're right, Mini Driver. Just, just, just. The, 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 the bit where she's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And you sort of, you can see her fighting to try and keep this guy from yeah. exploding. Yeah. He's just unfolding in front of her. He's just literally just like he's he's gone. Like there's nothing she can do, and she's just fighting so hard. It's just it's an amazing performance from her. Can, can I can I can I just do one? Now we're at the end of the nice chat. Can I just do one little piss on the parade bit? Because I did it for Forrest yeah, Gump. Have you got a few have you got a few pissy parades that you'd like to do? Because I feel no, like there no, might no, be did, a couple. Of them. No, no, no. It's just it's just just one. Just one just one where I'm like. You lost me with that bit. That was all. Okay, go on, go on, go on. It's not your fault. It just it, you know, that bit right at the end. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. No, no. It, it just it it felt almost almost farcical to me. That's 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 yeah, the only listen, the only bit I'm saying. That's I have to agree. I have really? to agree. Interesting. Yeah, it weirded me out this I time I was around. being a meanie there by saying that, but no, I, it felt it felt been... almost out of place from the rest of the film. But I wonder whether that's because we're. I wonder whether that's because we're now in a, in a kind of era where therapy is quite normalised. At the beginning mm. of the film, there's a, there's a moment where, he, like, uh, uh, Gerald says to to Will, Matt Damon's Will, he goes, "It was one of the condition. Apparently, you have to go to therapy." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and sort of like laughs at it, and then and then they kind of both sort of have this like childish like how pathetic the idea that you might talk about your feelings and i think that at this time maybe the whole it's not your fault thing was this really literal kind of like i'm breaking through i'm breaking through whereas actually Mm. now the conversations seemed so emotionally powerful anyway that they were just having about life that you didn't it felt like it didn't need it you know but when I when I sort of looked around online, everyone was saying at the time that, like, "Wow, this is so unbelievable." It found, I found honestly, I, I winced a little bit. A, uh, a, a, a top scene for me. So now I'm, I'm not going to piss on the parade anymore. A top scene for me as well. I've got to say is um, Matt Damon dealing with the cocky, horrible Harvard wanker in the uh, bar at the start as well. Brilliant. You'll be serving my kids when we're on our way to a ski trip. All that sort of crap. Uh, yeah. Horrible tosser. And, and, and he then dissects him, slices him up verbally and just with his intelligence and then goes, 
if you want to go outside, I can also fuck you. That's the belief. That's how like him and Sean have like meshed so well because it's like I can I can like you know academic size you <laughs> or yeah, exactly. you if you want like oh, you choose me. you choose yeah you know. it's brilliant man oh it's Big so good and so yeah a huge shout lots of assists there yeah, just wonderful i really really enjoyed it um just on the fine wine of war crime yes thing were there any things you wanted to front load on this well it's much like it is with scream it's another harvey weinstein production and the there are some dodgy dash questionable elements behind the scenes on that right yeah i think so um one thing so where i'll go find wine i think robin williams it just every time i watch this film it makes me feel more and more sad and i think that's really powerful i think that's fine yeah. wine territory the fact that you're like wow it's just doing so much to you um i think the the writing is amazing and is aging brilliantly i think that it has that lovely feeling of being in the 90s without it feeling uh, you can't reach it you know it feels very reachable mm. it feels attainable it feels close it feels like you can really get your teeth stuck into the film the fact that it is a harvey weinstein film and the fact that he is thanked in both oscar speeches so um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck thank him in their acceptance speech and Robin Williams thanks him in his acceptance speech to me says that on some level this is aging like a bit of a war crime because I it bothered me when I was listening that they thanked him you know because mm. so many others will not be thanking him for what they did to their careers um, and Minnie Driver in particular she said that he Harvey Weinstein supposedly tried to get her kicked off the production because no one would want to sleep with her. She wasn't attractive enough. Um, and sort of said to her directly that I, I believe he said to her directly that no one would want to F her. So she should be replaced. <laughs> nice guy. And she, yeah. And then she said that, as uh, she said, since that it's kind of like, sad horrible horrifying that um that she would then like it meant that she was possibly spared him abusing her because he felt that way about her yeah and then she said but why am i gonna take any kind of any kind of critique of my physical appearance from a guy that looks like a pig um <laughs> and i mean good on her because that is just so so yeah, so accurate, but just kind of horrible that that exists. And I guess this is probably the case for so many films. There's for every amazing film that is out there that he was a part of. There's also the following counter emotion that so many other people will feel that could have been in that film or were a part of that film and just will never think of it in a in a nice way ever. So, yeah, yeah lots of fine wine and a bit of a war crime as well. Should we do the ratings? See yeah, everything hit me up. Probably. I'm interested to know. Let's have a look. Right, I've, it's got to have a good one on IMDb. I'm sure it must. It must. It must. It must. It's like an eight point three. It's an eight point three on IMDb. So that's, that's good for IMDb, right? That's that's kind yeah, of that's, that's up there. Yeah, that's 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 decent. 
Goodwill Hunting on Rotten Tomatoes, 97% certified fresh, wow, 94% audience score as well. Very um, good. It's the 82nd highest on the IMDb top 250. Wow. Very good. Um, and again, yeah, we know what Metacritic are like, but Metacritic, 70% on Metacritic, 8.6 from the audience score on Metacritic. I still, it, it still irritates me a bit that the critic score is a percentage and the audience score is a, is a decimal um, for, for Metacritic. But there we go, you know, is what it is. Um, the Boston Globe. First and foremost, Goodwill Hunting is a film riding young, exuberant energies. The Chicago Sun-Times, it's the individual moments, not the payoff that makes it so effective. Time said, heart sinking, we are obliged to endure much pseudo-serious gabble as we head towards another painfully predictable triumph of the human spirit. No, that's nasty. That's nasty. I don't agree with that. It's amazing, Um, isn't it, how the reviews, amazing how reviews at the time how the reviews age as well. People like yeah. quite, ooh, people quite desperate to to give a critique. Um, yeah, how many, that, mate? That, mate? how many popcorns are you giving? No. How many I popcorns would give are you giving? I would give that a. I think I'd give that a four popcorns, and I would say that if you're watching it back, I w- if there was a rerun of it on the cinema, I think I, I I wouldn't be like, oh, I must go. But for what I watched it on Sunday night and kicked off at about eight o'clock and it gave me the warm fuzzies on yeah. a Sunday evening. I had to work on a Monday and it was just beautiful for that. So what about you, mate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. That's me like four and a half, uh, you know, four, four and a half. It's, it's, it is like, it's a nice film. It's nice. It, it is like you say, it's, it is the warm and fuzzies. And I think it's, like a lot of things in the nineties have, it has aged a bit. Like I think anything like generally comedy and like sentimental stuff will age not that well. And Mm. I think even though, like I say, it can sometimes veer ever so slightly into mawkish territory. I think for the most part it holds up and I think they capture a lot of the themes in there like very, very well. Like Like you said, the dynamic with the friends, the brotherhood, which is still, I think, alive to this day, the way in which people sort of interact with one another and stuff with their mates. I think it's, you know, you don't feel that like, oh, you know, they all need to be sat around on Instagram or something like that, right? Like it, it, you yeah, still feel exactly. like that kind of a dynamics endure. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good one, mate. Good choice this week. Good choice. Right, come on, put me out my misery. What are we doing next week? Um, mate, you know what? Like, I've found this one really, really difficult because there's, there's a few different thoughts whirring around in my head. There's a couple of really... So, what I'll say, there's one really big director that we haven't done one of his films yet, and that's David Fincher, Ooh. one of my very favourite directors. Okay. Um, but I, I don't know if I'm going to go there. There's one of my favorite, if not my favorite ever, sci-fi movie franchise is the Aliens movies, right? One, two, three, Aliens, Resurrection, Prometheus, all of them, all of them. But I don't know if I'm going to go there yet. Um, There's there's one film in particular that I don't know why it's living kind of rent-free in my head right now (laughs) when when I've been thinking about like a film to do. And... I think it's partly because I, I worry I'm getting us into something where we might not have that much to talk about. Because if I were to say to you, what are the themes of the film? What's it? To, what is it about? What kind of stands out about it? 
I'm not sure there's much past the visual, like the visuals, the stylings of it, but it was a launch pad for some very, very big careers. I mean, there is, it was not a launch pad for him, but there's a kind of early to pre Breaking Bad Brian Cranston making an appearance in this film. There's an early Oscar Isaacs making an appearance in this film. There's an early Carrie Mulligan making an appearance in this film. And the star of this film is a very early Ryan Gosling. So I'm going to go with Drive. Oh, very good shout. Very good shout. I'm, I'm down. And listen, do you know what? There is some There is some cool stuff that we can get to on this big time. And uh, not least the score. Because do you remember when Radio yeah. 1 rescored it? And it, 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 it I know, and then I know you've told me about this before. You t- when we worked together, when we used to speak about like music, you were like, you, you like movies, listen to this. this and it's one of those I've always thought I need to listen to that. Ben Haynes has always told me to listen to that, and I still haven't to this day. But I will this week, I promise. Excellent. <laughs> it's only taken me what six years or so. <laughs> we do you know what? I'm looking at David Fincher's back catalogue as well. You're so right. At some point soon. There's, there's some like, monsters in there, mate. Totally there's some like, monsters. I am going to force us at some point to do the game, um, oh, which is just an unbelievable. Film. I don't know how much I don't know how much uh, how much of a podcast there is in that, but it just will be brilliant. But well, what well, a choice, mate! Yeah, because I don't know how much of a podcast there is in Drive, but you know, I feel like I, I, like I want to be challenged because I, I was so, I'll be, I'll peak behind the curtain. I was so on the edge of doing Fight Club, but I'm like, we'll save that for a bit. And we've done a few films with very similar themes. We've done these kind of big, yeah. there's so much to talk about with Fight Club. It's, I'm not going to say it's easy for us, but it's like, it's oh, man, very, we could, I wouldn't even need to watch the film. Wouldn't even need to watch right. the film, and I think I could bore your like bore your senses about that. No, I'm I'm buzzing to get, I'm buzzing to go for Drive, mate. I think this is going to be really good, and I haven't watched it in ages as well. So that's a really yeah, really good one to do. Same, wicked. I'll do about half an hour on the lift scene at the end. Um, <laughs> amazing. I, let's remind everyone get in touch like we've had so many brilliant comments keep them coming and we'll we'll get back to as many of you as possible um if you if we missed anything on this shout at us and, and let us know what we missed and we'll discuss it on the next pod and in the meantime we both will try and go to cinema this week sorry for being naughty we're at byob pod on the social channels and uh, we'll see you all next time do it bye Beep.